chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. We have been in a series, as we have said a moment ago, called Listen to Him. And we have a booklet. If you, if you would like this book, they're at the back table here. Uh, we're asking for a donation, but you don't, I mean, it's a donate. You, you don't have to put a donation in. Uh, you can actually just take one of these books back there. And we'd love for you to. We've still got two weeks. Uh, maybe you can catch up or just start with where we are today. But please uh, consider taking one of our books here. Um, and, and really the focus of this series has been one thing, and that is we want to listen to Jesus. On the mountain of transfiguration, a voice comes from heaven and says, listen to him. And so we want to listen to him today. So let us go here, and, and this is a text that meant a lot to me as a child, really. It, it challenged me deeply as a child, and even to this day does. And so let us read it here. It's the rich, young ruler, if you will. We're, we're told elsewhere he's young. There, this is recounted three different times in the Gospels. And so notice these words here as we find ourselves in Luke 18, 18 through 30. And a ruler Ask him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is better or easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We pray now a blessing on that word and to the hearers of that word. And may we do what you say, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, you may have, uh, you may have come on the wrong day. Um, <clears throat> don't make me laugh because that inevitably will mean result in coughing. <clears throat> um, you may have come on the wrong day because uh, today's text challenges us uh, especially in the Western world, especially in the American world, especially in the Huntsvillian world, if you will, uh, about our riches. 
And, and that's all right because we need challenging from time to time, especially if we're trying to listen to Jesus. Let me say that again. Especially if we are trying to listen to Jesus, He warns many times over in the Gospels that riches can get in the way of clogging our ears, blurring our vision. And no matter where you put yourself on the spectrum of riches, I don't know. But I do know this. We're not one of these majority world nations. And majority world nation used to be called third world nations. And now they changed it because the majority of the world are those nations. We are not. And so even our poor people are doing a lot better than some of the middle class people in other places. And we've recounted that here, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, but it's something that we just so easily forget in our first world issues. I mean, we get upset when we're sitting in the drive-thru, and it takes two or three minutes. Somebody's already preparing food. We're paying somebody to cook food for us. We're sitting in our nice vehicle which is typically thermostat regulated. And we get upset because we have to wait a few minutes. And this maybe reveals more than we would like to say. Or, you know, if anything goes wrong that shouldn't be going wrong in certain services. Or, you know, it's like, where's that waitress at? I mean, my glass is empty here. What, what do we expect? And it's like, man, sometimes when I hear people complaining, it just really burdens me. And it bothers me, honestly. I mean, not that there's not a place for complaining, of course, but it's like, man, you know what? There's a little more to life than just being served, isn't it? And we're, we're a nation, we're a civilization that's based off of other people serving us and we pay them to do it. And, uh, and you know, it's, uh, it's just a warning here that Jesus meets this Rich young ruler, I mean, the context here, we could spend days talking about the context, but he's already talked about the rich multiple times. And you may already know that Jesus mentions money as one of the top subjects of anything that he talks about in his sermons over and over again. And it's not that he's against money at all. And so what is Jesus against? What is the proper attitude toward our possessions, or as the ancients used to call it, mammon. And one knows already from the teachings on the Sermon on the Mount, one cannot serve God and mammon, which mammon is just whatever sustenance we have that has been given to us. And so let's, let's just begin where the story begins then. Before we get caught too far in the weeds here, where does the story begin? And it begins with this man coming to Jesus, and we're not even told he's rich at first. He just comes to Jesus, and he says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life, good teacher? And he, Jesus stops him immediately, and he says, why do you call me good, for only God is good? And this is something I think also I need to be challenged with, and I was challenged with again as I read this, and I've studied this passage. Like I said, this, this passage really impacted me as a, as a teen, really challenged me as, as a child even, and much less through the rest of my life up to this point. But this thing here, why do you call me good? And I think Jesus challenges us there because sort of almost intuitively we think we're good. We actually do think we're good. 
we actually disagree, I believe, with what Jesus says here, and that is only God is good. It's interesting that... I I tried to look up some statistics, and I just wasn't good at it and didn't feel like poking around at it for too long, but you ought to look up statistics of how many criminals say they're a good person. And not only criminals, just interviews on the street. You ask people... Are you a good person? And their answer is going to be yes. I mean, and really the way we look at ourselves, maybe, maybe even subconsciously, is, you know what? I'm doing pretty well. I mean, look at so-and-so down the street. Look at what's-his-name in their family life. I mean, we're doing pretty good here. My life looks a lot better than theirs. And yet the comparison is not others, is it? If God is the only one who is good, then the only good comparison is God. And of course, we immediately bump into the impossible with that. And so I think one of the fundamental things here to to grasp in this passage that should challenge us and warn us is in not thinking that we are good. Maybe in particular in not thinking about our possessions as sort of a reward for our goodness. You see, the scriptures are very clear, especially in the book of Job, of all places, that one's possessions do not equal one's righteousness. For Job loses all things, at least physically, but not his faith. I mean, even his wife is against him, saying at one point, Job, just curse God and get it over with, man. Obviously, he hates you. And sometimes in the flood of life and when it rains, it pours of life, we feel like that. We say, man, I must have did something wrong, right? And this was a, this was a common, ancient way to understand the world is that if something was going wrong in your life then you actually did something wrong back here that tripped up the wires that connect goodness to your life. And so people would equate bad things with being a bad person. And then, of course, the opposite of that is they would equate good things happening to be goodness. And Jesus says, no, no, only God is good. And any goodness in us is a reflection of the goodness of God. And so, like the moon, the moon doesn't shine. It doesn't have its own source. It only reflects. This is our job, is to reflect. We are not the source of goodness. Now, you all look good to me. And when we chat and give our, you know, salutations to one another, you seem good to me. Uh, i just be honest with you. I mean, I'm just being frank. Not the frank in the back, but just <laughs> metaphorically. <clears throat> but the Lord knows the heart. And you know, <laughs> you, you see these tattoos of people, I, I see it from time to time, or, you know, uh, I guess... The ones I've really seen are like what rappers normally talk about. Only God can judge me. And it's like, well, 
What they mean by that is that you shouldn't be judging me because only God can judge me. But what I'm saying is, man, look, you want me judging you, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't want God judging you, dude. Uh, I, I got news for you. Like, it'd be way better for me to judge you because, like, what I can see, it looks pretty, you're doing pretty well. You know? You're doing pretty well for yourself. You look good to me. But God sees everything we're told. And when all of Job's friends think he has done wrong, they, they literally are coming to him and say, look, look, Job, Job, just seriously, man, like, let's just be real. You did something. Like, there's a secret thing going on. Just, just admit it to God and this whole thing will go away. He says, dude, seriously, I, I really didn't. Blameless before God. And the lesson should be clear to us. Our possessions are not a representation or some weighty measurement of how good we are. I mean, that's what things like racism is based upon. It's like, look at those people's plight in life. Surely they're dumber. Surely they're less than us. I mean, and, and kind of almost subconsciously, we think this about certain nations. Like, man, you know what? I wish they could just get educated. Well, we've tried that. It doesn't work. Education is not enough. And that's not a political statement. That's a gospel statement, friend. If, if education was enough, Jesus would have written curriculum. He never writes anything but the sins of those in the sand that will be covered up and never seen again. He never writes anything. But he does live a type of life that is for the ones who recognize that they are not righteous. That they actually do need help. And God help us to see through all of our riches. No matter how they come to us. Whether riches mean a great and godly family heritage. Or whether riches mean for us just dealt a good hand of cards in life. Or riches mean our health. Or riches mean money. Riches, I think can be generally spoken as good things that are happening in your life. And it's not that they're bad. God loves to give good gifts. But just like my own children, I'm not going to continue giving them more video games to rot out their mind so they can sit on the couch and deteriorate as a person. I give them just enough to make them happy every once in a while. But then draw back on that so that I can teach them to be a person in the world that actually loves people and not things. And that's a hard lesson, isn't it? It's way easier to love things. And we cling to our things and our devices maybe more than ever. I mean, you know, hey, I do too. I got this thing in any given day very close to my heart, you know. Um, only God is good, friend. Only God is good. And so we need to somehow teach ourself, say, self, I know compared to so-and-so, you look good, but the comparison is not to so-and-so, it's to God alone. And of course, Jesus here is making a point that if the, the rich young ruler here was really sharp, he would get the point, and that is, standing before him is none other than God himself. So he was correct in calling Jesus good teacher because... Truly, God was before him at this moment. And what a, what a thought that is. 
But also, what a thought it is today that God is before us right here, being offered to us, offered in the Word of God, in the preaching of God, and in His sacraments being offered to us in a real way, in the way He told us to offer Him to the world. And so we too, maybe, are coming today like the rich young ruler. You know, the second thing that's of interest to us here is the fact that the first thing Jesus goes to is the law. Now, for a lot of, you know, evangelical Christianity, it's like, well, hang on, Jesus. Um, shouldn't you have told the guy to pray? I mean, like, this is, this is like a premier moment where it's like somebody's like, a rare moment, let me say, not a premier moment, a rare moment where somebody's like, hey, what do I need to do to be saved? It's like, well, let's go down here and pray. That's what you do. Instead, Jesus goes to the law. And I think the reason he does is because he think, this guy thinks he's good. Because he already knows he's following the law. So it's, it's almost one of these things where it's like you're going into one of these situations, you know, where you already know what the person's looking for and you're like, oh yeah, I got that on my resume, you know what I'm saying? Like, I know they're going to ask about this and I'll check. Boom, you know, and, and this dude knows. He knows that Jesus is going to go straight to the law and say, well, have you been following the Ten Commandments, man? He's like, absolutely. Yes, sir. Now, it's fascinating. I just quickly wrote down this morning the order of the commandments that are given. It's just kind of interesting. Number seven is given, then number six, then number eight, then number nine, then number five. Now, I have no reason why Jesus chose that order, nor do I know the reason why he only chose five of the ten, but... I do know that these five that are mentioned are five of six that deal with just our relationship with others. In other words, none of the commandments that Jesus mentions here deal with our relationship with God. Because, you know, the Ten Commandments are split into four that deal with our sort of a vertical. That's correct, right? All right, good. I I needed some affirmation on that. A vertical relationship. And the other deals with a horizontal relationship. Six do. Four and six. None of the four are mentioned here. Because really the issue here is on the outside. He's treating everybody well. He's doing, he's doing, he's got a thumbs up on that. People like him. But God is the issue, which I think is why he comes asking about eternal life. He knows something's not right. Everybody else perceives things are well with him. He knows something else, though, that they don't know and that things are not well here. And you know, man, when things are not well here, it doesn't matter what other people think, does it? I mean, have you ever found yourself in a dark place? And yet everything, I mean, people tell you, say, well, look at all the good things you have in your life. I mean, my goodness, you know. I mean, that's what I used to try to do with Jessica way back in the day when I first got married. Philip, babe, why are you so sad? I mean, look at all that we have. We have a house. We have these kids. You have me. You know what I mean? Like, what is there really, what's really there not to like, you know? It's like, well, I'm just not really feeling it, you know? Well, I've learned that, that, that humanity and, and being human is, is very complex, you know? We're very complex people, and 
not to say that my wife is a complex person, but she is a person. So if we're saying generally all of humanity is complex, then she certainly is this beautiful complexity that I have learned to love and will be celebrating next month 15 years, you know. So this is a, this is a neat experiment, yeah. <laughs> We've got some, uh, some proof of that marriage as well and five children, you know. So he goes straight to the law. Because the law should have pointed this man to the truth. You see, it's not by the law that we are saved. But certainly the law helps point us in the direction of salvation. Here, he was doing the things that made him look like a good person. I'm convinced he was, he was probably one of the best dudes you would have known during the day. I mean, it's like, here's a young guy who actually has a lot of riches and yet is following the ways of God. Typically, everybody sits up in their seat when somebody... I mean, I remember at 17 when I gave my heart to to Christ and was just all in. Uh, Everybody just was like, man, it's so great to see a young person that just has their whole life ahead of them and it gives it all to God. People like that kind of thing. People are like, man, that's a good person. But it's like, man, you don't know what was in me still. I didn't even know what was in me still. And this guy is just learning what is really in him. Jesus says, well, good. Uh, And and, and in Mark, which is kind of my favorite story of the rich young ruler, the one recounted in Mark, it says at this point, after he tells him that he's been following the law, Jesus looks at him and loved him. Now, you know the end of the story is he goes away sad. So that made it all to me, you know, when I, when I read this as a young person, it made it all the more sad to me that it's like Jesus already knows the outcome of when he pushes, when he presses here on that wound, he knows the guy's response is, don't touch that again. Not, please heal that in me. But instead, no, don't touch that. Don't, don't mess with that. And Jesus loved him, it says. And, and some commentators say, that probably, because the, the term's unique, it may have even been that Jesus embraced him in some way at this point. And he almost is, it's, it's this really intimate moment where Jesus is like, there's only one thing, man. One thing and you are in. It's not getting out on your knees and praying. It's not saying a sinner's prayer. Sometimes we've made too much of some kind of prayer that doesn't exist in the Bible, quite frankly. One of the things, you know, I miss Carrie deeply. I just want to say that. I really do. And one of the things that, that, would, that would get her up in arms is the sinner's prayer. Which is, which is kind of funny because you know she was for all people. And she evangelized. But if you wanted to get her up in arms, you start talking about the, the sinner's prayer. Which isn't biblical. I mean, there's no place in it. I mean, Jesus doesn't say, hey, come follow me. Let's, let's go say a sinner's prayer. I, Marshall, ask you, Jesus, and about, you know. Instead, he tells this guy to do something. One thing. Just this one thing, man. And you're in the kingdom of God. Go sell everything you've got. Sell it to the poor and follow me. In other words, it wasn't a a call to poverty. He was going to sell it, which he would have obviously been able to keep some of that, and then give it to the poor. And... Different translations here uh, will we'll recount what happens, but his face was etched 
in sadness. Marked. His countenance dropped at this point because he had many estates. That's actually how the Greek word reads there. He had many estates, many riches. He may have had a lot of riches, but he didn't, Jesus says here, have treasure in heaven. You know, it's not that Jesus is against money. He's not. Jesus uses money to further his kingdom. He's not against wealth. You know, this is not a, this is not some kind of theology against wealth that Jesus is putting here. He said he cares so deeply about this person that he knows that this person is not about the possessions he has, but instead that the possessions have him. You see, it's okay to have possessions. Cool possessions. Nice possessions. Neat possessions. Rich possessions. So long as they don't have you. And that could mean that even some poor people could be possessed by the things that they own. As much as some rich people. So we always want to look at the rich and snub at them. And it's like, well, let's make sure first that our own hearts... Something in our life doesn't have us, doesn't possess us, because we cannot serve God and mammon. It's impossible. Wealth brings a lot of things, one of which is security. You know, it's like, man, I don't really have to worry too much about what I'm going to eat. You say, well, I don't have much in the fridge, but you can go buy some, you know. And even after that, you've got credit cards and other things to, to help when you do get in a bind. Maybe you have family. And in, in, in America, we even have government assistance. And all these things help provide security for us. The poor don't have security like that. They have to be in crowded areas. Whereas we continue in America. I mean, you should look at the statistics from 1970 to 2019. We continually move away from each other into bigger homes with smaller families. By the way, just another plug for the great divorce. In the great divorce, Napoleon is one of these characters. Like they see him and they're like, yeah, we hadn't seen him in a little while, you know, because they're down in hell. And it's a long story. I'm just, I shouldn't have even probably brought it up. But, <clears throat> but they see him. Like last time we saw him, he was just pacing in his house. And his house continued to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And they kept moving out. And we don't even know where he is anymore. He's out so far. He's just still pacing in his house. It's one of these things that should teach us enough is never enough, is it? Say, if I could just get enough, you know what I mean? If I, I, just, I mean, if I could get that in my 401k and I could get this saved up for college. I mean, I've already scrapped that thing, you know what I mean? <clears throat> if I could just get this, I would have enough. You know, just a couple more weeks, just a couple more years, that would be enough. And enough is never enough, is it? And it's a dangerous thing. It really is. And that, that's why I think this story is so, we need to hear it. It, it's, it stings, but we need to hear it. And, and, and I don't know what it is for you, but, but I know that here the main thing is, is sort of possessions. One of the best ways to make sure something doesn't possess us is to give it away. 
It's like, can I live without that for a period of time or forever? Do I see it as mine or do I see it as God's? Do I have a grip on it and it on me? Or is He allowed to put in my hand whatever and take out whatever? And listen, I'm not just talking about money, although I am talking about money too. But there's things like family that can get in the way of serving God. Jesus interrupted one time because His mother and His family were outside. They're like, hey, we got to get to KFC, you know what I mean? You're preaching too long, bro. And he says, looks at the crowd and says, who is my mother and brother and sister? Those who do the will of God. You know what? <clears throat> as much as I love my children, they are not my own. Not if my allegiance is to Jesus Christ. Not if my own life is not my own. It is a shared responsibility. So if God wants to call my children to the other side of the world to serve Him, that's His business. So be it God. And we do pray for that. I mean, not that they go to the other side of the world, but it's kind of like what my dad always said when, when we were growing up, my brother and I. He said, I'd rather have my sons on the other side of the world serving me than next door going to hell. You know, we can have a grip on our children that's not godly. We can find security in our children that's not godly. We can care so much about our family and what they think that it's not godly. At the end of the day, we must stand before God and not our family. And Jesus is for family. And yet, not unhealthy relationships because here's the thing that the one thing necessary is Jesus Christ in Christ alone my hope is found my security is found <clears throat> well maybe you say like the ruler here like this person with many possessions well what do we need to do then you know like you've you kind of brought it all into this, but what do we do? It's like, well, you can give away some of what you have. <laughs> Which is sort of the point in tithing, isn't it? It's saying, look, at the baseline, and we could get into to the, to the dynamics of what a tithe is and what an offering is, but at base, you know, the term tithe just simply means tenth. It's actually a word that means tenth. So when you say a tithe, just tenth. So if you ever... Um, or doing something, you know, be cool and just say, yeah, it's a tithe. What? You know, it's, a, it's a tenth, man. Come on, where you at? You know, tithe is tenth. And it's set up in the Old Testament, and it seems to be continued in the New Testament. Or at least, if we're going to be generous, the tenth would be the ground floor, wouldn't it? I mean, that's kind of the, the understanding. is like, if you're going to be generous, and there's not just a, a certain number... I mean, my goodness, a tenth is sort of the ground floor, at least set up in the Old Testament. And of course, the Bible calls us to generosity. It calls us to see that our wealth should not have us. And the only way that, that I think is the prescription, if you will, is to say, this is all God's. 
So it may not even be a question of how much are you going to give because you figure that's the next question I'm going to ask. You know, it's like, we're going to pass the plate again, right? <laughs> we're not, okay? Of course, you're free to come up here and not, not mess with the stuff. I, my finance team will get upset about that. But, but uh, if you want to place another, oh, that's fine. But here's the point. Maybe it's not so much how you give, but how much are you going to keep? If it's all God's, how much are you going to keep? It's a different way of looking at it. And is he okay with you keeping that amount? You know, it's, Lord, do I need this? Do we even ask that? Because we kind of think it's my money, right? I mean, I made it after all. Somebody's paying me, but I made it. I have the gifts. I have the skills. And the Lord really checked me a couple years back on this very subject. And I had someone close to me teach me a lesson on this. And I am grateful for that. Here's the thing. Family, security, mammon. This can all become things that we find our security in rather than in Christ Jesus. But here's the reality. That kind of security doesn't last, does it? I mean, that's not stuff we're going to take to heaven. And that's where we're wanting to go. That's the whole point of this passage even. is Remember, eternal life. And it's fascinating here. I love how, how this ends. He says... Here at the end, he talks about, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many more times over this in the age to come. Here's the good news, friend, just today that I, that I think the Lord wants you to hear. Because <clears throat> I told you, you came on the wrong day, remember? You're like, man, dude's got to talk about money, the, you know, uh, there's an age to come. Do we even consider that? There is an age to come. Jesus says here, whatever you've given away here, there's an age to come. You know, as a, as a, as a teenager, maybe this is too much information. Stop me if it is. I'm just kidding. Just be like, Bob will be like that in the back. <clears throat> um, I don't need you on Facebook Live showing that. But um, <laughs> when I was a teenager, you know, um, of course, I wasn't married and all that kind of stuff. I hadn't experienced a lot of stuff in life. And I used to pray that Jesus wouldn't come back, you know, because I'd be like, Lord, I hadn't got to experience certain things in this life, and I want to experience certain things. And you can imagine sort of where, where that's headed. And it's like, I want to experience certain things like that in my life. Uh, please don't come back because I'll never get to, you know. And, uh, and as I've gotten older um, and had experiences and, and, uh, and experienced a, a good bit of neat things in life, really, uh, and I'm very thankful for that. Here's the reality. There's something more in the age to come than we can even imagine. So whatever you think you're missing out on, whatever you think you're missing for the sake of Christ, Jesus' point here is there is an age to come that's hard to describe, impossible to describe. Only metaphorically can it be described. That's why we get these images that, that people so often misinterpret but are meant to point us to some reality that is far greater than anything that we could ask or think. But there's also another reality that if we hold on to our goods, 
that if we hold on to the possessions that are given to us, if we are the bad tenant who goes and buries their gifts, buries their graces and said, look, Lord, I didn't mess them up at all. He says, no, the kingdom of God is about wasting them for my sake. Extravagant waste, prodigal living for the sake of Christ. I want to flip what we did last week to say there's a way to prodigally live for Christ. In other words, lavishly giving away all that we have, all of our gifts, time, efforts, abilities. And I can't think, as we end, I can't think of anyone greater than the woman, Mary, who Jesus says what she did here, and this is, this is right around the time of the rich young ruler, by the way, six days before Passover, which we'll be celebrating on Monday, Thursday, Jesus says there was this woman that came to him that washed his feet with her hair. And she broke pure nard. We read it today from John. And all four Gospels mention a woman who comes to him and does this. And it cost a year's wage. That ointment that she had was, so let's just say, $60,000. Boom. Break it. Pour over his body. Over his feet. Anoint. And the disciples were told, Simon in one instance, were told Judas and John's story. Why didn't you give this to the poor? Like this, this is a waste. Jesus says, no, corrects them all. No, it's not a waste if it was done for me. Do you see your money as given to you by God or made by you? Do you see your possessions as possessing you or you possessing them enough to have open hands to God? Here's the reality. We've been warned today. So what do, what do you need to do? If you're listening to him, then hear what he has to say. Not what I have to say. I'm not going to put a number on things and, you know, ask for your quarterly statement from our church about how much you've given. I'm not going to do any of that. Because at the end of the day, I don't even know how much you make, so how would I be able to gauge anything? That doesn't help at all. I don't do that at all. Here's, here's the thing. God knows your heart. And I mean, that's a scary thing, friend. He knows it all. He knows why you keep what you do, where you find your security. So, so I, I just want to end with, with maybe whatever it is that Jesus told you to do, do it without delay. Maybe he's saying to you like he did to this ruler, there's just one thing right now. And my one thing, by the way, has changed over the years. So it's like, now this one thing, don't hide it from God, give it to him. He's the great healer. He can heal you, and he can help us to start living now in the, for the age to come. So receive this, hear him, we need him, we need his mercy upon all of us, for none of us can render salvation to ourselves. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.